Welcome to Creative Place, the podcast for creative placemakers. I'm your host, Andrea Orlando. Today, we're talking with Katie Dempsey, founder of Core Creative Placemaking in Morristown, New Jersey. She's going to tell us what it's like to leave the safety of a full-time job to found a consulting business with her husband and rent a space in the new co-working building called En Mass. She's also going to share her secret to bringing people together from all walks of life to create art. What is the name of the space that we're in? It's a brand new space here in Marstown, New Jersey, and it's uh, really a great space for people like myself that work from home or um, have a few different types of jobs as a consultant usually does. Uh, So you can come and go as you please and uh, it's just a beautiful atmosphere. Lots of people with startups uh, come so the energy is great and the um, atmosphere is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I know. I noticed a lot of beautiful artwork on the walls. It looked like the, the theme here is nature. (laughs) Yes, Um, which was one of the reasons that I really was attracted to the space itself. It's in a very old historic building here in Morristown, and the owners really uh, kept the authentic walls. There's brick walls, there's wood floors. Um, It really has a nice uh, sense of like a hominess and a warmth. Actually, some of the larger offices, which I'll show you later, actually have fireplaces in them. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just I, might move in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I would I would love to work in a space like that. It's really a wonderful um, concept. Uh, and it actually, to me, is sort of a creative placemaking venture uh, in a sense that it's a it's a gathering space. They created the space and um, sort of people are coming and making that energy happen. Hmm. Do you feel that? People are actually getting new ideas from each other just by working not together on a project, but side by side. Yeah, well, it's um, the space, as I had mentioned, is uh, very new. It just opened formally last week. Um, But one of the things that attracted me to the space was also meeting some of the other people that will be coming and spending time here. Um, Really interesting mix of people that are into finances, tech startups, creative people. There's actually somebody here who does financial coaching. There's just a good energy, a very sort of diverse uh, age group of people, culturally diverse group of people. And I just like the energy. I I feel like when you put yourself um, into a space like this, um, you kind of just know something good and positive will happen. Yeah. So you founded Core Creative Placemaking And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about how that came about. Sure. Um, Well, it was definitely a a long process. Um, I have a long history working in, um, you could either say community development or um, community organizing or um, community outreach. Uh, And it was just sort of the um, result of many years of working for a couple of or two or three different nonprofits and getting to a point in my life where I realized that the next step for me was sort of going out on my own and leaving the nest of a regular job with benefits and everything else and taking a chance to start my own consulting business. Yeah. So um, 
it's really been uh, a little bit scary in the beginning, but I have to say um, it's really been uh, an amazing adventure. And one of the things that's really exciting about it is um, I'm in the, my business partner is my husband. And actually my son now is also working for the company. So it's really become a family uh, business. How is that working out? <laughs> Most of the time, really well. <laughs> I'm not sure I would try that. Yeah. Uh, I'm married, too. Well, actually, my husband and I live in a really small, a small space, which was one of the other reasons why it was necessary that I kind of find a space of my own. Uh, we live in a very small 700-square-foot, one-room, um, old, over-100-year-old cottage, um, and it's tight. This space is very tight, and we've lived there for five years now. My husband and I have been together for about 24 years, so um, we knew when we moved into that small space that not many people could do that. So we have a, we have a great relationship, but we also know how to be together while letting each other have their own space. It's, it's interesting. So working together um, is sort of just an extension of how our own lives have kind of developed as individuals and as artists and as creatives. So it was, you know, Dan, my husband, is a visual artist, um, a community artist, I would call him. He's an amazing uh, human being, an amazing artist. Also, he does community murals in communities as well as companies and schools. And I've always done, um, you know, community work as well. So we've worked on other projects before. We've actually collaborated on art projects. Um, and it was just a natural progression for both of us to one day just say, hey, look, why don't we start to collaborate and take our gifts and our talents and put them together and and really start our own company. Do you think you have different skill sets that you bring to to the organization that complement each other? Definitely, definitely. I mean, I have a, a long history of um, administrative work in nonprofits. My husband has always been an artist. So uh, it's a very different uh, skill set. Um, I kind of understand a little bit more about the back uh, the back part of the business and also uh, the management uh, side of the business where my husband is, um, although we're both creative, he's really the person that can take uh, take a group of people and, and really create a piece of art with people, which is part of what makes core creative placemaking very different than most businesses. I've seen some of his murals. How does he go about coming up with the idea for the design of the mural? Okay, well, that's a good question because um, that's uh, sort of you know where the core creative placemaking comes in, where um, we both help a community decide what is important for them, what is important for their community to see in that mural. So it doesn't necessarily have to be like a literal interpretation of, of the values of the community, but both of us try to make sure that there is a representation in whatever mural he does of the community value. So 
before he starts coming up with the design, there's a conversation uh, about what does that person, what are the people that live around that uh, mural, that space, what is the history of the community, and what's important for them to see moving forward as a community. Um, and he always incorporates some of that into his mural making and design. How do you go about finding out what the community feels is important and how they want to want to be represented? Well, it's a it's a process, and um, for for me, that's one of the things that I feel that I do really well, and I also love doing, which is kind of identifying, sometimes it's hard to identify the people in a community that um, you want to talk to and who should be at the table. And um, I kind of find it easy to do because what I do is I'll go into a community, walk around, uh, go into the local coffee shop, just get a feeling like, oh, you see flower boxes, who's planting those flowers, who's um, you know putting together a performance at the local coffee shop. And who's got a business down the street? Who are the store owners? Um, who's on the police department? Who's the fire department? Who's the mayor? Um, who's the planner? Who's the person in the school that puts together art programs? And kind of just bring the community into one place and talk. I have a process that I use. It's, I call it a visioning process. And ask people questions like, what does your community now mean to you? And also, while I'm doing that, my husband is doing visual note-taking. So while I'm writing it on the board, Dan is actually drawing on his iPod um, images of what I'm talking about it, and we project it on a screen behind me so that people can actually see as we're speaking. It can kind of come to life visually which um, makes it a little bit more interesting and fun than just having, say, like a PowerPoint or something that's not moving and, and actually tactile. Um, so it's, it's a process that um, really makes it interesting for people to see. And then we, um, we sort of, from there, go to what's important to your community and then what is the vision for the future of your community. And once we get all that down in visual notes, and also regular note-taking, it's, it's easy to kind of put it together and, and get a feeling for what the community wants as a whole. Mm -hmm. And do you think that the people who come together um, initially, do they usually think of themselves as a community? Uh, that's a good question as well, because I always say um, a people, people can't feel like a community until you give them an opportunity to experience what community is. And sometimes people don't feel like a community. They say, well, there's nothing happening here in this town. There's nothing, uh, you know, there's not a lot going on. I wish our community was more like this community. And I start out by kind of identifying things that people themselves may not notice, but also once you create a very simple experience, and that experience may be just coming together in one room talking, um, people start to meet each other for the first time, maybe uh, understand that, gee, you know, the person down the street in the store that owns a little shop down the store has a lot of similar ideas and, and concerns that I do. So 
once people start to come together, they start to understand, ah, this is what community is because they share a shared experience. And we take that and then we go from there, um, you know, creating new experiences for people, new little events, new little things for people to just share. And what kinds of things are they? Well, I'll just give an example of um, here in Marstown where I've worked uh, and done a lot of different things. Um, one of my favorite events uh, that actually my husband and I both thought of when we were standing in front of a reflecting pond in Marstown one night was wouldn't it be great to see pumpkins lined up around this reflecting pond? And we were like, yeah, that sounds so great. That sounds awesome. So uh, fortunately, I had a position uh, with Mars Arts at the time as the director of creative placemaking where I could kind of go back and say, let's do something around the Hall Halloween time and have people bring pumpkins to this beautiful space. So of course, there's a process in that of like getting permits and uh, getting permission from the town and so on and so forth. But ultimately what happened was our first, I think the first pumpkin illumination was about eight or nine years ago. Um, and we just started advertising, bring your already carved pumpkin at this time on the Sunday before Halloween. And, you know, the staff of Mars Arts was there with uh, candles to put inside the pumpkins and lighting sticks. And we just took people's pumpkins and lined them up against the uh, in front of the reflecting pond like around the edge and lit the pumpkins and it, it's amazing because it's a simple um it seems just so not extraordinary to do something like that but it gave people something to come together for it was free people bought their own pumpkin there was nothing sophisticated or complicated or difficult about it. Um, however, just the actual action of community members coming together with something something as simple as lighting a pumpkin really started to cause a buzz. And that event now, I think it's in its eighth year, has become a major tradition in, in Marstown. And it's gone from the first year I kept telling my husband, you better carve a lot of pumpkins because I don't know how many people are going to show up. And uh, we had maybe, I'd say, 50, 60 pumpkins. Um, fast forward over the years, it's morphed into, my husband also makes these amazing masks um, out of cardboard, like head-sized, life-size masks. And uh, we incorporated that into the tradition where he goes into schools um, and makes these masks with the school children. Um, and then we added lights to the masks. And then one year we hired a band and then we turned it into a, a light parade. And then, you know, now we have like a New Orleans style jazz band and we, we kind of all get everybody with their masks and walk around. It, it, it's really turned into quite an event where now there's over 12, 1,300 people. We have to hire a police. Um, 12 or 1,300 people. It's wow. so amazing. It's such a beautiful, and, and again, you know, it's a simple event. You know, now what happened was um, 
Mars Arts was able to get a sponsor for the event, and I don't even want to mention the sponsor. But I want uh, MetLife is one of them. I know there's others, but um, who really were able to start pitching in, and now they give candy out, and it's become we have more money. They have more money to publicize, um, but those are the kinds of events that anybody can start. So, like I said, it doesn't take uh, a hugely complicated idea. But when people start to come together, then they're like, oh, this is such a cool community. We're in a community. Do people bring their kids? Oh, yeah. It's like a, it's a, it's a big deal. I mean, it's got, there's tons of kids, people. I think one of the, the, the most exciting things was one of the, uh, I think the first year we were so like nervous that no one would come. And one of my coworkers showed up and she said, oh, they're coming. And I said, how do you know? And she said, People are literally coming through town in wagons with their kids, with pumpkins in the wagons. Oh wow! <laughs> oh, so they walk. They walk over to the pond. Yeah, they walk over. Oh, wow! And she's, you know, then I saw people coming up with two or three kids in a wagon with their pumpkins in there, and it's it's really turned into such a celebration of not just community, but it's it's the diversity really represents who lives in this community. It, it's just a wonderful celebration. It's simple. It's it's not a long event because a lot of children are there. So we make sure that it's kind of quick. You know, people come, they put their pumpkin down. We have music. Um, we do our light parade. And then everybody takes their pumpkin home. That, that sounds like something similar to a tradition that we have in Metuchen. Um, it's called Pumpkin Float Night. Oh. And um, the Public Works Department organizes it. So they buy the pumpkins and they set up carving stations um, in at the Senior Center. The families come, they carve their pumpkins during the day. And then later on, they're brought over to a pond. Ah. Illuminated and placed onto... Um, Floats. Oh, that sounds fantastic! And uh, so it, they floated out onto the water, and it's it's really pretty, isn't yeah. it? Great. I mean, yeah. it's 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 those kinds of events that really can make such a huge difference in a in a community, you know. And like I said, it it doesn't take it doesn't take a lot. Just take some creativity, and and um, you know, you have to kind of stick with. Uh, if something doesn't seem like it's, it takes, you have to know that it's going to take a few years for things to really bubble up and start taking on a life of their own. Oh, a few years. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Things take time. So I'm uh, a student in the Certificate in Creative Placemaking program offered jointly by the National Consortium for Creative Placemaking and uh, the New Hampshire Institute of Art. And um, one of the things they're teaching us is social bonding as one of the goals yes. of, of creative placemaking. And um, I think that's such a beautiful uh, goal to have. It is. It is. I think in the, in you know, like I said, I, I mean, I have a, a pretty extensive history in building community and doing uh, work, uh, developing programs, um, I used to work years ago for a philanthropist, and I did um, program management and creating programs in Newark. 
and you know uh, things for volunteers to to uh, volunteer for in the evening so it was always kind of taking uh, looking at a situation and kind of finding there is a need and then creating a program that fills that need sometimes it can be more um, crucial than others like uh, you know feeding people but in some instances something simple um, that just brings people into a downtown to celebrate something as simple as a summer solstice or winter solstice or um, is is just enough to make people care and I think a lot of creative placemaking is to bring people together that already do care with other caring people and I think it's always a surprise for people to sometimes you know people meet each other and they never knew each other they either work or live around the corner and um, it's not as complicated as we think sometimes because human nature um, I think we all basically want the same types of things and that's what I always try to talk about when I'm speaking with people in the community is to it's easy to think about our differences and and sometimes people say to me how can you get all those people in a room together because they all a lot of people don't agree with what they want the town to look like or what they want happen in their town and I always try to focus on what similarities we all have which are safety I always talk about what well, we all want our communities to be safe and of course everybody agrees yes we want our community to be safe we all want our communities to be economically viable so that we can have a downtown that we can come to and and the stores are open and there's not empty stores and people will usually always say yeah that's what we want so if if you can manage to kind of get people together and start thinking I know it sounds a little Pollyanna, uh, but if you start people out on a positive note, um, it's amazing what can happen because people really start to share uh, more of their, um, rather than their differences, they start to look at each other like we're just human beings. We're, we're families. We want to be safe. We want to have good schools. We want to have a lively um, downtown and we want to have events for ourselves and for our children. I guess um, the, the trick is to get people to start having the conversation in the first place. Right. And I imagine there's a skill to that. Well, I, I um, you know, I think a lot of, for myself, I think I came from a big family. I grew up with uh, one of six and you know my grandmother lived with us and my other grandmother lived across just a lot of people always around and I think that it really gave me a skill set um, growing up in a big family to um, understand the dynamics of group and how it's not uh, it's not really in your best interest sometimes to always think that you need to see and, and manifest things in your vision, how um, getting consensus and also um, compromising is how things get done. And I learned that at a very early age. Um, I think it was either from the big family, also 
I was very fortunate as a young child. I was always involved in theater. I think my mother was just like anything to, to get all these kids out of our house. So we were always somehow involved in theater. And I think theater is a really great example of collaboration, a compromise, uh, using people's strengths um, to overcome other people's weaknesses. And then basically at the end of the day, you know, you put on a show. And creative placemaking is sort of similar to that in a way, um, is that once you get people together, you identify their strengths, uh, you give them something to do that is focused on one particular uh, event. In, in It could be a, sh- a show, a play, a, a performance, or some kind of downtown event. Um, a lot of things really start to happen, and... and uh, I think people just are looking for opportunities to collaborate and they just maybe aren't aware of it. Yeah. You know, it always seems that there, it, it takes for that one person, the organizer, uh, to, to initiate something. Yes, yeah. And uh, also takes sometimes, you know, certain vision. And I think that's something that I've always felt... Uh, was part of who I was even as a young child, always kind of having the creative mind that wasn't easy for me uh, growing up or maybe in school because it was easy for me to get bored. But um, I always had ideas. Um, The nuns weren't always very happy with (laughs) some, some of the ideas I had. But, you know, just kind of, I always feel like at the, at the core of everything, if, if you can create fun in pretty much everything you do, it's going to be a lot better for everybody. And I really do believe that um, I try to have fun. I try to make it fun for other people because there's so many things in life that aren't fun that um, even if I'm having a meeting or, or, or have a group of people like a, a committee, I always tell people I, I think... Part of my job here is that we have fun when we get together because um, people are going to m- be much more likely to show up if, if you're creating an environment of joy and positive, um, a positive atmosphere and, you know, loosen up a little bit and um, not, be, not take yourself so seriously. Um, that's kind of one of my uh, little uh, life philosophies. You've been listening to Creative Place, the podcast of the National Consortium for Creative Placemaking. If you like this or have suggestions, tweet at us at CP Communities or write to me at Andrea at cpcommunities.org. Visit our website for photos and more information. Bye for now.